So Kaspersky have ridden in on their great big Russian bear and they have come to your rescue because <laughs> they say that Sorry, they I've got think- picturing that for a moment. Shirtless. Make sure they're shirtless. <laughs> they're yeah. shirtless. Yes, they're wrestling a bear. They stumble into Holding the Holding hands with Putin. <laughs> I got it. It's beautiful. Oiled. There's a choir singing somewhere and it's really <laughs> glorious. Smashing Security, episode 157, a biometric knuckle duster, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 157. My name's Graham Cluley. Hello, I'm Carol Terrio. Hello, and we are joined this week by a returning fabulous guest. It's Maria Vermasis. Hello, Hi, Maria. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Yay for coming back. Yay. It's almost Christmas. Are you guys panicking yet? No, 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 not really. No. no. But I heard it's pretty Christmassy there. I mean, we don't like to talk about the weather on this uh, podcast, Maria, but uh, I hear you are snowed in. I'm snowed in. So, um, yeah, we're getting some unseasonably large amounts of snow right now. So it's very, it's very unseasonably. Well, you know, it's not unusual for us to get a little snow, but this is, this is quite a bit of snow. A big, a big snow dump in <laughs> yeah. December is unusual. Yeah, right? it's unusual. Usually we start getting that later, but it's cozy. I've got my coffee. I'm good. I've got my fuzzy slippers and working from home because I'm a freelancer, so I do this every day. (laughs) (laughs) We're all in our pyjamas. Yes. We're all freelancers. (laughs) (laughs) Like every day, even in the summer. I'm really (laughs) cosy. Well, snuggle up, everybody, and Crow, tell us what's coming up on the show this week. One moment, please. (laughs) (laughs) We're not actually having a show. (laughs) First, thanks to this week's sponsor, LastPass. Its support helps us give you this show for free. Now, on today's show, Graham showcases Kaspersky's new foray into improved security. Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Maria, take over from me. Uh, I'm talking about uh, residential proxies and what NordVPN is or isn't doing. Who could have said that better? And I'm looking at what could have been a pretty neat little hack were it not for egos getting in the way. Plus, we have a special feature with LastPass. Rachel Stockton explains all things single sign-on, including behavioral analytics. Creepy star. All this and loads more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, cast your mind back to the early days of Smashing Security. You may remember that we discussed once the scent of Eugene Kaspersky. Was that like uh, a was that like a pick of the week or something? No, it was it was a main <laughs> story. Kaspersky released a perfume called Kaspersky, ah, the essence of an antivirus oh, researcher. I remember this, and uh, you, it, it got us thinking. I think at the time, you know, what other people could release a perfume? Maybe the uh, the aroma of John McAfee coming all the way from Costa Rica. Something. <laughs> oh. like Please. Strong sense of bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kaspersky's marketing department, they've been busy beavering away, Mm. and they've come up with something new that has caught the media's attention. So they're quite creative, those fellas. Well, these are the the guys that came up with Packing the K, Let's never forget the Packing the K video. (laughs) One of our favourite cybersecurity music videos. When I'm packing the K, I can say with affection, the K-Man gives me the best protection. Who's the key? Kaspersky! K is the key! Uh, Always a good excuse to uh, link to it in the show notes, so thank you for giving us that. (laughs) Now, before I reveal what Kaspersky's marketing department have done this time, I think it's a good idea to explain what the problem is that they are trying to address. Perfect. Because we live in a biometric world, don't we? Our phones are unlocked with a glance of our face and bank accounts are unlocked with a fingerprint. And we find ourselves... Well, some Specifically of us, Graham's. Know, you... Mine is unlocked with Graham's fingerprint. I, I... <laughs> God, that must make it tough since you live in different countries. <laughs> and, and, and some places, like in the UK, you can be identifying yourself when you ring up the tax man with your voice. Yes. And oh, delightful. Have... Yes, wonderful, oh. isn't it? Well, the problem is with those sort of technologies being used to identify whether it's really us looking or touching or speaking, is they need to somehow store some kind of print to compare against our voice or our fingerprint or our face. Yeah, and this is all addressing the whole problem of authentication, right? Yeah. 
you know, we have username and passwords, but then we forget our passwords or we forget our usernames. And then we have more than one email address and more than one phone number. So using something like that is a very good way of authenticating, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And authentication, I think, lies at the heart of many of today's security problems. A failure to reliably identify it is the individual who you wanted to give access to something who's really trying to gain access. That's almost the definition of a hack right? Is that someone who wasn't authenticated got access as though they were authenticated to something, right? And that's the big problem. Right. Okay. okay. So there are organizations out there and technologies which obviously need to store biometric data in some way or another. And if that was ever stolen, yeah, (laughs) could be quite harmful. That's the big problem, right? You only have one set of fingerprints. We have right. 10, I suppose. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can get hacked 10 times and then you move on to toes. <laughs> Ear. Bum. Oh, butt prints. That's the yeah. danger. At least you two heard there. It here first. Yeah. Maybe more in some cases. But, uh, it's, so, but the important thing to remember is you can change your password after a hack occurs, right? We see hacks all the time and you're told, mm-hmm. oh, reset your passwords. Well, just try resetting or changing your face or your fingerprints, it's going to be really difficult, isn't it? There's going to be a huge lineup of the plastic surgery outlets around the place, isn't there? Well, I have been on YouTube this Mm. morning, Crow, and I've watched the trailer for that marvellous 1997 movie Face Off. Oh, the classic. (laughs) An American classic, if you will. Someone I know, maybe it's my parents, maybe it's them, but someone I know walked out of that film (laughs) for 10 minutes. I, and like, I, I walked out during the trailer. I oh found it too confusing working out which one was John Travolta and which one was Nicolas Cage. They're remaking it, aren't they? They're remaking this You're movie? kidding. No, I'm really? pretty sure they are like, because we didn't get enough with the first one. It's or maybe so they already did and I missed it. But It's so ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so... For normal people outside of this sort of fantasy Hollywood world, it's not possible to change your face or your fingerprints. So they're not the same as passwords. And you can't change your fingerprints and you leave your fingerprints everywhere. Maybe fingerprints aren't actually the ideal mechanism for security and authenticating yourself. Do you want to tell every single airport in the world operating right now? Well... (laughs) There are challenges, aren't there? Because when a breach happens, what are you going to do about it? So Kaspersky have ridden in on their great big Russian bear and they have come to your rescue because (laughs) they say that... Sorry, I've been picturing that for a moment. Shirtless. Make sure they're shirtless. They're shirtless. Yes, they're wrestling a bear. They stumble in. Holding hands with Putin. (laughs) I got it. It's beautiful. Oiled. There's a choir singing somewhere and it's really (laughs) glorious. They have teamed up with Swedish designer Benjamin Way to create a ring that you should wear we know on your that hand. name, Benjamin Way? He's a Swedish designer. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Well, so you okay. should know him. And this ring creates a fake synthetic fingerprint, right? It houses a 3D printed rubber stone made out of, quote, thousands of conductive fibres that basically simulate a fingerprint. Now, I've included a picture in the show notes here, and I'll also include a link to the video so our listeners can... As you can see, it's completely and utterly utterly ugly. Oh, my God. (laughs) Looks like a tumour. Well, what what, what we've got here is a picture of a man with uh, an enormous ring on his hand. Okay, yeah, I see the ring. And a great big black oval, like it's a stone. It's it's, it's basically the size of a thumb, I guess, on his finger, made out of some kind of black rubber. It's like a, yeah. And the idea is that rather than using your thumb to register, for instance, your fingerprint... You use your ring, so you sort of turn it over and press that against your touch ID. Dude, this could be maybe the cutting edge of Russian chic right now, okay? (laughs) Seriously. It it looks ugly, but I'm, like, intrigued by the idea behind it, but... uh... You get to punch in. So, effectively, (laughs) so instead of using your fingerprint, you literally punch the ring in, and it has a simulated fingerprint. Yes. So, it's basically a deep print, fake print thingy well, oh a deep prints well, deep no, prints tm criteria it's, it's not a copy of your fingerprint so it has its own you no no i get it it's a fingerprint yeah. and let me guess if you lose it you can buy another hey, one you got so it breached, yeah exactly yeah it's like there's a built-in profit okay. there at this oh. stage at this yes. stage if someone had brought this up at a meeting on a friday <laughs> afternoon 
I would be, let's do it. How much would it cost to do a prototype? This can't be that expensive. It is a PR winner. Okay, so, okay, and I like it. I kind of think I like it. On the pure fashion scale, Carol, would you wear one of these? Well, I might wear it the other way around. Oh, I see. So it's underneath. Right, into my palm, right? It's quite large, you know. I don't think you'd be able to hold on to things like the handlebars of your exercise bike and things. If I you don't had need this. to hold on to the handlebars, the exercise oh, bike. Oh, okay. Jeez. You're not going that fast? Uh, <laughs> I'll take you on any time. Imagine trying to do yoga with that curl. Like you're doing a handstand well, I, or something. Presumably you can take it off for certain activities. Like, uh, no, like no, you yoga. have to wear it forever. Of course you can take it off. <laughs> It's fused to the bone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you just remove it. Oh, my God. Imagine you lose it. Okay. I know. Okay. I can yeah. see where the problems are. Okay. This go, 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 is go, where go. the floor is, right? <laughs> so first of all, first of all, yes, you could lose it, right? Because when you go to the gym or when you're doing the sh- washing up or when you're lathering yourself in the shower, it could slip off with all the soap. I mean, when you go swimming... <laughs> Hey, I lost my engagement ring, right? Right. Still married, but there we go. People take off their rings when they go swimming or if they're baking because you don't want to get lots of yeast under there. So there's that issue. A real finger is hard to lose, but I would argue that a ring is pretty easy to lose. And furthermore, okay... There's this problem of, well, use the same fingerprint okay. for everything. Can I, ask, can I ask some I, questions? Hang on, no, can I finish okay. what I'm saying? <laughs> you too. Oh, shucks. <laughs> this is a fun but show. I, I just said furthermore. <laughs> you keep interrupting me. Simmer down now, children. <laughs> but furthermore, right, so it's not only the issue... It's just I've got to edit this bit. There's not only the issue of whether you lose this thing, right, and have to replace it, and that's going to be a nuisance because people do take their rings off. But furthermore, wouldn't it be great if you had different fingerprints for different services rather than having your fingerprint stolen in one place, your fingerprint data, and then used to break into other accounts? So are you supposed to wear 10 different... A knuckle duster. One yeah, a knuckle duster. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I interrupted. Sorry. I actually, to be fair, I think this is an interesting approach to the biometrics problem. I don't know if it's the solution, but I want to give them credit. This is actually kind of interesting. This ring, I think, is ugly as all hell. I mean, it. it, I just, oh, it looks nasty. But it, it is an interesting. You know, you lose. Do you like blood diamonds better? No, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm a, I'm a millennial. I don't do that. We kill diamonds. Remember, it's a thing. But (laughs) 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 maybe there's there's another solution that's not literally on your hand. I don't know. But an earring, perhaps you could just (laughs) (laughs) a keychain fob. You know, we had a bunch of those. We seem to really like those in Infos. (laughs) Yet another little dangly thing. (laughs) But the problem with all of these fingerprint replacements is that it doesn't prove it's really you, does it? It just proves that someone else has possession of the item which you're using to try and prove that it's you. Knock you over the head with the hammer and and put your finger as you're passed out on the phone. Good, you're good. (laughs) I think all these companies are trying to make these devices much more part of everyday life, which is why we have these watches. We saw the Amazon ring, right? And there's like necklaces and now all these things. So is it harder than losing your finger? Of course it is, but it's probably less likely that you lose a wearable than something that's in your pocket, like a dongle. A dongle? (laughs) Um, Uh, I don't know. Well, yes, possibly, I suppose. I suppose you change your trousers more often than you take your ring off, right? Well, if you wear jewellery, you tend to, well, not me, obviously, because I lost mine, but you would put your (laughs) rings down in the same place if you're removing them, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a tough nut to crack. I don't know. It's- <laughs> okay, so did this go wrong? Did this go wrong? It hasn't gone wrong. I think that they... Oh! I, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. I assume this is just a marketing concept rather than something that they're really going to push. I don't know. So it's an interesting idea. I think it doesn't really solve the problem, or at least it solves some problems, but then it introduces a whole load of ones which... We well, had what's in your the first solution? Place. What's your solution? You, were com- you complain about people using fingerprints. You, th- you think he'd be on the podcast if he had a solution? He'd be marketing it and making a whole boatload of money. I know, he just whingy, whinge, whinge, whinge. <laughs> he wouldn't be doing this if he had the solution. <laughs> Maria, what have you got for us this week? Oh, not Facebook. So that's Yay, hey. fantastic. I'm I'm going to be talking about uh residential proxies. 
Ooh la la. Ooh la la, yes. <laughs> that sounds riveting. I. Uh, <laughs> no all right, pressure. we're done here. We're done. I can't. Bye. <laughs> All right. So I had asked on Twitter, I, as I often do, hey, what story should I talk about for the show today? Because I'm lazy and, and our listeners are very helpful. So uh, some of our listeners sent in a blog post that's been making the rounds. It went out about four days ago from recording. It's about NordVPN. And does that name ring a bell for anyone? Hmm. Have they been in security headlines recently for a reason? <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Have so, they had any snafus? Yeah. Well, I'll do a little backstory for folks who don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. So about two months ago, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, they were in the news because they'd been compromised, but they sort of sat on that news for a number of months. So they, their servers got compromised in 2018, their, or their data center, rather. And they found out about it in April 2019, and they only came clean about it in October of 2019 after a lot of public pressure. Hmm. That is a very nutshell version of what happened. It was a bad look for a VPN, given that the whole deal with VPNs is that you're, they're supposed to help your security. So sitting on news of a data breach for months and months is a really, really bad look. Well, yeah. Weren't they doing this massive push? Because for a while, they were all over television, like terrestrial TV or digital TV, and I would see them in a numerous Reddit feeds as well. So it, it felt to me like they had a lot of money to burn to get their name out there. They're a big name. Yeah. yeah. And they had rather blotted their copybook around the same time as the news of this data breach. They had been criticized for some ads which they were running, which were basically saying, you get rid of all of your security problems if you're running a VPN. That's a bold claim. Which was a rough, a bold claim. And they, they did <laughs> mm. pull it back. But they have had something of a checkered history, I'd suggest. I mean, they sponsored lots of podcasts and videos and things like that. And sometimes the claims made by the people appearing on those podcasts and videos weren't completely legitimate. Specious, maybe. Mm, good maybe. word. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so there's a blog post by Derek Johnson that NordVPN is doing something that they shouldn't be able to do. And that there's something really bad behind it. And I'm not saying this is true or not. I'd just like to dig into what's behind this claim. And, and maybe we can draw some conclusions there. Because I'm not really sure that this is the case. But in any case, let's dig in. The big question is this. How exactly is NordVPN able to serve up Disney Plus to countries that shouldn't be able to access it? That is the question. Right. And Disney Plus is their version of Netflix. It's a new streaming service, isn't it? And I think there's some kind of Star Wars... TV show or something on it. I can't get it from over here, but that is correct. So, yes. is your point that Disney blocks most VPNs from attempting to do this, and for some reason Nord is not on their block list? Y kind of, yeah. So, basically, to just back up half a second, Disney Plus is only available in a very small number of countries: so Canada, U.S., Australia, New Zealand, Netherlands, and then everyone else has to wait at least a year, if not longer. Right. So companies like Disney Plus and Netflix are always doing whack-a-mole with VPNs. So yep. That, yep. we're just establishing that. So that that's a known problem. So if you want to access Disney Plus, say, in Europe, like literally anywhere in Europe outside of the Netherlands, uh, what are you going to do? So you're going to try your VPN and you find out you're blocked. So this is where it gets a little weird. Users of NordVPN are still able to access Disney Plus, even though pretty much every other VPN apparently or a lot of other VPNs can't access it. Right. Because Disney Plus goes, nope, you're a VPN, I'm not letting you in. So how is that happening? And that is the question that Derek Johnson is asking in his blog post. Like, this really shouldn't be able to be happening, and yet it is. So it's kind of impressive and maybe a competitive advantage if NordVPN says, well, we can give you access to Disney Plus. Well, Correct. totally. Right. Yeah. You know, I assumed, perhaps incorrectly, that some were just blocked and some they just weren't on the hit list. And it was that easy. This could be possible. And then there's another theory. Okay. So the theory is this thing called a residential proxy, which is sort of new to me. I haven't really heard this term much, but you'll probably be hearing more about it. So a residential proxy is a real person's IP address, like a real like it's assigned to them by their own ISP. Yeah. So it's not an anonymous block of VPN IPs that the VPNs tend to get. So right. th they're they're newish and folks love them for going around these VPN ISP blocks and also maybe doing some more dirty stuff on the internet. I'll let you fill that in with your own imaginations. So one, I, I did a little digging for the marketing spiels that some of these VPNs use, and there's like this very breathless description of how great residential proxies are. Just, just listen to this. These proxies are the highest quality product on the proxy market for one simple reason, which is that residential IP addresses are undetectable. 
They look exactly like real mobile and desktop devices. They are immune to bulk bans and blocks because these proxies do not share any sub-networks. A residential proxy network is a pool of real residential IP addresses that are associated with real internet service providers, which makes them unstoppable. So, I had so the reason why they look exactly like real mobile and desktop devices is because, because they, they are, are. Exactly. real mobile and desktop devices. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Okay, I'm, I think I'm following. Okay, because I was, yeah, there's a lot of marketing hubaloo there. Yeah, it, it is. And I was like, that is a very breathless description. And I was reading that. I'm going, this sounds like a botnet a little bit. Mm. And I'm like, that's, but they're not, it's, it's not the same thing, but it made me think of that. So bringing it back to Nord and Disney Plus, Derek Johnson is thinking that Nord is using residential proxies. Now, Nord VPNs, they, they don't say anything about that on their website. They say they use something called smart play technology, which is not a term I've ever heard. And I'm guessing that could be their own branding on residential proxies. I, it's not a term that I'm familiar with at all. So in any case, if NordVPN or anyone else is using a residential proxy, how does a VPN get their hands on these IPs? Because how, how do you get your hands on some Joe Schmo's IP address? How does that happen? Right. So Because it's kind of odd. So there's never possibilities. I was doing a little digging and learning on this one. So one theory is that the VPNs are kind of doing a, a tit for tat with their users. So say the US users are routing overseas traffic through their own IPs in exchange for being able to do the same. So if right. I'll, I'll write you if you route me kind of thing. Yeah. So a uh, quid pro quo, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it topical. Good. Is that what this is all about? Yeah, is that it's, it, it, it comes so, back to that every time. So hang on. So Rudy Giuliani has a NordVPN <laughs> account and he's letting some guy in Ukraine. I don't, I haven't been following it too closely. Just okay. go to Wikipedia's conspiracy pew, pew, pages. Pew. <laughs> You're throwing those theories out there. Rapid fire. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm yeah. impressed. Uh, so, so the idea is you sign up for the VPN and they say, hey, we're going to use your IP address, but this will allow you to use somebody else's. So mm-hmm. this is sort of called colloquially a volunteer channel. Uh, so the idea is that you're telling someone when they sign up, hey, this is what's going to happen. With, and we're, we're asking your permission explicitly. But as long as you sign up for this, then everything's kosher. Okay. My question is like, what if Guy using my IP address does something a bit yucko, <laughs> right? That's on my watch, effectively. That's awfully unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have an answer for you, but that is, that is unfortunate, isn't or, it? Or on the other side, if you are someone who does something naughty on the internet, if you are allowing other people overseas to use your IP address, Mm -hmm. then that's your get out of jail free potentially, isn't it? That's your excuse. You could maybe use that argument. Yeah, I don't know how people would be able to distinguish between the two because it looks completely just like a legitimate IP. I I don't know enough about networking. So quid pro quo is one option. Second option (laughs) is that providers, yeah, I'm just throwing that one. Providers uh, that already have residential proxy IPs will resell them to others in big batches. So we don't know how they're getting those IP addresses, but the horses are out of the bar and they're being resold. Okay. So there's a bunch of different options here. Another option, which is kind of a boring option, but realistic. uh, Brian Krebs did a story on residential IPs and proxies a few months ago. And according to his sources, a bunch of the world's biggest ISPs are more than happy to just sell chunks of their IPs to anyone who asks. As long as you got the money to pay for them, they'll be like, you want some residential IPs? Here you go. Uh. Which is uh, kind of a boring answer. But uh, if that's the case, then (laughs) I mean, that seems like a very easy way to do it. And NordVPN, for example, their website says that they do purchase IPs directly from ISPs. So that's a thing. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't have thought that ISPs would want to do that, but I guess if you've got a gazillion IPs, you know, what's a few hundred thousand to sell for some, some money? It's like yeah. free money. So this is all pretty above board. But these are all bona fide attached to particular people, right? They've been assigned by ISPs to be assigned to a resident. So th- this, this all is the more above board stuff. But there are a lot of theories that there are some more malicious things going on with residential uh, proxies as well. So... For example, there is a security researcher who works at Facebook named Shang Hang Mi, and he wrote a paper this year for IEEE on residential proxies. And I'm going to really, really boil it down and simplify it massively. Um, and the link I, I provided for the show notes if people want to read his paper. But one of his data points is that he collected hundreds of thousands, if not millions of residential IPs that are used by proxy services. And he was able to identify that about half of the IPs that he could identify clearly belong to IoT devices, like <laughs> web cameras, DVRs, and printers. So I do wonder how a device volunteers to share its IP. Like, where's that oh. often? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Good point, yes. Yeah. 
Uh, and then in addition, the researcher me also found that there was a correlation between the presence of potentially unwanted programs or straight up malware on a user's machine to that machine then serving itself up as a residential proxy. So it seemed about like 10% of the time, at least that person who was a residential proxy had no idea that they were and they had malware that was making them into one. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's a much more nefarious thing. So this could be somebody downloaded malware on Unbeknownst to them. 10% of the time, too. Is, at that's least. Pretty, that's huge, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it could be mm-hmm. much more than that. And this is just in that one data set. So there are above-board methods of getting these IPs and not-so-above-board methods. So back to NordVPN and Derek Johnson's blog post. So he thinks there's something really nasty happening here. And he's drawing a connection between NordVPN and this other company called Oxylabs, which has a hefty residential proxy network. And nobody really knows how they're getting it, but there's some allegations that it's shifty. And there's also the rumor that the two companies are owned by the same guy. So the thinking is that if they're, if Oxylabs is getting IPs through a nasty way, they're sharing them with Nord and it's all kind of behind the scenes. That's the assertion that's happening in that blog post. Or I, they might just be buying them deliberately and there's just a hole in the regulation that allows, yeah. you know, and we're that's, all getting screwed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's Again. the thing. Because we have no way of knowing how they're getting these IPs or even if they're doing residential proxies, but it's a good guess. So, yeah, I, I was thinking it's probably a lot easier to go the more legit route and just buy them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, NordVPN also, for the record, they got tweeted at about this blog post and they have denied that anything fishy is going on. And they say that they either purchase the IPs directly from ISPs, so what we just talked about, or that they get user IPs from people who have, quote, voluntarily downloaded a program that shares their bandwidth and the users are fully aware of the purpose. <laughs> fully aware as in they clicked on the OK button. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure they didn't read whatever fine print that is, but... You know, they did hit the OK button. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I always think that the truth is usually probably pretty mundane. Uh, I have a feeling they bought the IPs from ISPs. Right. I just don't think it's worth going through the trouble to do something shifty. But who knows? I mean, I don't have any way of saying that allegation is true. So, it's, um, yeah. yeah, it's just basically there's not enough. You know, the technology companies are way ahead. Regulations way behind. And there's a Wild West mentality going on. Like, if you can get away with it, go for it. Pretty and much. We're the ones who are going to be paying the price. So I read the Derek Johnson blog post. It did feel like he was jumping to a conclusion, perhaps without the smoking gun of proof, that NordVPN were doing quite what he suggested. Because he does sort of paint a picture that imagine you were downloading an app to your device, for instance, and it was malicious and it was secretly helping NordVPN. But you, you sort of think we well, have no way of knowing. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. That could have happened, but. I didn't feel really comfortable with him making that allegation without something a little bit more serious to to back it up. And some of the ideas which and suggestions you've made here seem a little bit more plausible and likely to me. Yeah, I think it's very possible, if not likely, that other VPNs are doing the shifty mm-hmm. stuff. And in mm-hmm. fact, there are plenty of studies out there that show that some VPNs are. Uh, it's just um, I, I don't want to be making that allegation without really having the proof, as you said. But I think just watch the space for residential proxies because, I mean, as I said, this is sort of newish to me. But I think a lot of companies are keeping an eye on it. And certainly, I imagine big content providers like Netflix and uh, Disney Plus are are keeping an eye on it. I I think it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to develop. Yeah. And hey, you could be accused, you know, because your name could be associated with an IP that's been slurping up loads of stuff you shouldn't be when, in fact, you actually are in the right jurisdiction. (laughs) Oh, God. Let's hope the FBI is listening. (laughs) Hey, FBI, (laughs) please don't arrest me for something I didn't do because someone else was using my IP address. (laughs) God, that's scary. Thank you, Maria Carroll. What's your topic for us this week? Well, we are now going to bop into the music world and see how a crew of uh, nefarious opportunists tried to make fast buck. And this might also be a lesson on how not to conduct yourself online. So the music industry, right, Graham? The world of performance art, producers, recording <laughs> artists, live yeah. shows, festivals. Graham's in it. Up to his eyeballs. He oh, knows this is because so well. I'm a pianist now. Is that where you're, you're including Well, there's me? a lot of struggling musicians out there, the young and right. the old. Right, Graham? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, <laughs> the young and the old. And there is an ocean of moolah at the top, which indeed is probably one of the reasons why the music industry is often targeted by cyber criminals. But mm. the thing is, is not all cyber criminals are super smart, right? Sometimes some might seem to be knitting with a single needle. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) 
And dare I say, if this New York indictment sheet is anything to go by, 27-year-old Mr. Christian Irazo of Austin, Texas, might just be one of these single knitting, single needle knitters. <laughs> and, but maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I'm being harsh. You guys can decide. So I'm just going to set, set up the play here. So Irazo right, and his happened? three chums decide one day in 2016 that they want to make a bit of easy money, right? A bit of easy wedge. And they must have felt like they had some elite skills because they agree to go after two U.S.-based music management companies, one based in New York and one based in L.A. Now, both are unnamed, okay? Now, it's weird to me because these guys are based in Austin. Isn't Austin like music capital, blah, blah, blah? And yet they target out-of-state producers, which, anyway, it just makes yes, me... Yes, but I mean, there are certainly major artists, I imagine, are being managed from New York and Los Angeles. You're right, there is a vibrant music scene in Austin, yeah. but... Well, maybe they're tougher. Maybe, maybe you just don't want to piss them off, right? Right. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to shit on your own exactly. doorstep, do you? It just, it just makes the whole up. thing a federal level, right? It takes that out of the state and moves it to, to the fed level. Oh, true. Um, so anyway, these four opportunists managed to get their hands on stolen employee credentials. Mm-hmm. And they use these credentials to access the producers, these two in New York and in LA, the cl- their cloud storage. And they successfully infiltrate it and snoop around. The plan? Get some unpublished tunes under their belt. Right. So the New York producer attack came up Trump's. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm. Is that saying now ruined forever? Uh, oh, came up Trump's. Yeah. Oh. So, Smelling like bullshit. <laughs> so the New York producer attack worked really well for them. And apparently they accessed the cloud storage account more than 2,300 times in several months. And they ended up stealing more than 50 gigs worth of music, including hundreds of unreleased songs. Oh. Mm-hmm. Is that weird, though? You guys are a bit geekier than me. Is that weird that that, don't ra- that that didn't raise any suspicions? So they've stolen some employee credentials. They've added 2,300 searches to the log that would have otherwise not happened. And they've downloaded 50 gigs and no one noticed? Yes, it's a music management company. <laughs> They're not like Columbo. They're not keeping a close eye on what's going on on their network, are they? They're all but this like- is after the Sony hack, which we discussed last well, week. Well, yeah, that was Sony Pictures, though, wasn't it? But regardless, I think, I think you know, it's probably a fairly relaxed environment when it comes to network security. It shouldn't be, mm. of course, because there's so much valuable commercial material there. But uh, I, I would imagine... In some cases, they're not keeping a close eye on it. Yeah, guarantee mm. there's a lot of password one, two, threes happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. One, yeah. two, three. Better than ABC. Oh, that's, Is it? That's not the word. Is it? I don't Is know. Is it? Hunter 2. It's Hunter 2. Hunter 2. <laughs> so, so these guys have all these tunes, right? Hundreds and hundreds of unreleased tunes, 50 gigs worth of stuff. And what do you do now? Any guesses? They uh, release them as their own material. They create a fictional band. How did you get? Oh, really? <laughs> did they really? No, of course they didn't. Oh, I was hoping no. it'd be some K-pop band just stealing people's songs. <laughs> no? Okay. No, um, these guys contact the victim in New York, yeah. right? This is months into their, you know, uh, song snarfling situation. So whilst they're contacting them, they are still actively snarfling music off their systems, right? So they email the New York producers and they blame another producer. Whoa, 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 whoa. Individual one. Okay. So in the court indictment, they're unnamed. So an (laughs) unnamed party is blamed. So they say, look, individual one was behind all these shenanigans. What? Okay. And individual one has is the guy who accessed your cloud database. Individual one stole all the tunes and he's currently selling the stolen songs for three hundred bucks a pop. Uh-huh. And the guys are like, whoa. And they're like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know. Right? Wait, like, so it's up. not extortion. It's blackmail? Well, we don't know. Or trying to get point, someone right? else in trouble from yeah, the sound what, of things. That's, I was thinking it would be simple extortion. Like, hey, I got all your songs here. I'm going to release them early on the web unless you pay me X to not do it. Maybe they were too scared to do that and they thought the consequences could be serious. Whereas if they were to point the finger of blame elsewhere, they could do some damage, but also come out fairly safe. I mean, it, it, it maybe like it's a, a, rival, <laughs> a rival hacking gang or something like that. It's. 
It sounds like a vendetta. Yeah. Remember I was remember I was talking about the one needle one needle knitting? Needle knitting. It's hard to say. So this is where Razo really got into his role. And he called back 10 days later, called back the New York producers and said things like, quote, I'm doing this for the love of the artists and claimed that he wanted no harm done to the producer that because because he was on his side. Right. So Erazo says to them, I'm happy to help you out if you need any of the info or anything I could dig up for you guys. Just let me know. And I'm more than happy to help you guys out with this. He even urged the music label to take legal action against the person, individual one, and also advised this New York producer about improving their security of, of their cloud storage account. Well, it's a way to get an IT security contract, isn't it? Is to hack a company and then come in and say... And then act like the cool kid. Hey, I can help you fix all these things. So in the indictment, there is, quote, yeah, and another thing to... Uh, okay, so he's not the best writer, right? So I'm going to quote this. In the indictment, he says, yeah, and another thing to why we are going to you guys is we just hate this f-ing person. Bottom line, we aren't even going to beat around the bush. Bottom. We, we, we line is just we hate this f-ing person. We want da 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 da. So they're basically really trying to build a strong rapport of trust between um, the actual guy who's stealing the songs and the victim. And the whole thing goes like clockwork, you know, because Arazo ha- feels he has them all dupe. And even a week later, he sends an online message to one of his co-conspirators saying that this is the perf cover-up, which everyone's assuming means perfect. Oh, that's what it means, right? Yes. <laughs> Drop half the words. Very French. <laughs> oh, fake. What Erazo did not know... That would be parf. That would be parf. <laughs> Say parf. Yes, <laughs> Now, what Erazo did not know is that, of course, the New York producers had contacted the authorities after his initial call 10 days earlier. Duh. So when he was doing all this showing off, he was actually talking to an undercover agent. Oh, <laughs> calamity. Yeah. Yeah. You mean it wasn't, it wasn't really the police, it was a sting. Or was it sting? <laughs> it was Sting. It was See, is he still sting. alive? Can I yeah. just say? He probably is after all that tantric sex. Um, <laughs> it's just Sting. Uh, In a little blue spandex and a knife. and I will kill him! Anyway, sorry. <laughs> What's really interesting for me in the indictment, because I haven't read very many of these in my life, but there's a lot of talk about how he never, ever reveals himself during these conversations. Like he never goes, oh, by the way, I know something more and I have access to the data and let me give it back to you or anything like Mm. that. And there's all these big segments kind of saying, basically, he's constantly trying to dupe us. And, And that kind of adds weight to the whole case. He ended up, apparently, uh, they found on his computer 850 stolen music files. Jeez. And he was charged in a New York court on Monday under three counts. Charges include one of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years, and one count of conspiracy to commit computer intrusion, which carries a maximum of five years. And he's got aggravated identity theft as well. So minimum of uh, two years imprisonment. So, so basically he's looking at up to 20 so years. So this is this chap Arazo, is it? Yes. Hmm. I, bet he, I bet he wishes he'd erased his... Uh those files that he downloaded rather than stolen them on his hard drive. Well, I'm not even listening to you. Um, <laughs> during this hack, he also managed to get um, the LA producer, an LA producer's uh, Twitter handle. Well, they didn't say Twitter. They said microblogging and social networking accounts. So With a bird on it. Yes. <laughs> I wonder which one they mean. God. Exactly. Oh. And they used, they used this account to send direct private messages to other producers Ooh. and music artists saying, hey, can you send your unreleased songs to this email address? Which, of course, was in Irazo's, you know, his cohort's control. And in the indictment, there's this part where someone replied, right, to to this DM saying, yo, just got into Manhattan. I got this exclusive track that didn't make the album, but I'll definitely be a club banger. Want me to send that one over? So there you go. So they're hanging out with some real serious music. Carol, this here. chap isn't knitting with one needle. He's knitting with a baguette or something. He's a complete <laughs> loon. What a thing to do. Yeah. Seriously, well, the def- quality of cyber criminal has really gone downhill, hasn't it? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> has it? 
Don't you love a win-win situation? Imagine if you could have both enterprise-wide password management with single sign-on. What is single sign-on? Well, Graham, let me dazzle you. Single sign-on is designed to connect employees to high-priority apps, all without needing the user to log in at every single hurdle. Now, by combining these two services, our friends at LastPass may have just revolutionized security at the enterprise level. Learn more at lastpass.com forward slash smashing. You don't need to say the forward slash. <sighs> and welcome back. And you join us on our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week (laughs) is a bit security-related this week. What? Well... (laughs) Doghouse. My pick of the week this week is a website which you may have seen popping up on Twitter. People have been amused by it, and I thought maybe some of our listeners would be amused by it as well. It's a slightly rude domain name, so I'm going to have to be careful. The website is called Why the Beep Was I Breached.com. And if you go to Why the. I think it's- what? Why the, I think it's why the f*** was I breached. Oh, yes, yeah. that's correct. I don't yeah. know what his problem is. Like, yeah. It's f***. If you, <laughs> yeah, if you, it's not hard to say. If you go to that website, why the, why f- the f*** was I breached dot com, dot com. <laughs> then you will be given a randomly generated explanation as to why your company was hacked. And this is very useful if you're in a disaster recovery situation where you are having to put together a press statement or a statement for your customers and you need to very rapidly explain why you lost all their social security numbers or why your password was password or the the Amazon <laughs> bucket which you set up wasn't protected by anything like a password or anything like that, then this is what you can use. And so... Uh, so f- it's quite... I'm looking at it now. It's quite funny. For the first one that came up for me, yeah. right, on why the f*** was I breached, um, says the fucking competition used advanced techniques to force us to release this report. We have since worked with law enforcement, so it can never happen again. And then underneath it says Equifax already fucking used that one. See, these are taken from real from real life breaches. No, no I, don't, I, I, I think not. <laughs> no, but, can no. I read you mine? Because it's definitely not. It's uh, <laughs> the f-ing hacking activists use nefarious techniques to do something, but we aren't quite sure what it is. But since we have hired external consultants, it will never happen again. <laughs> so the, 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 the button which says Equifax already fucking used that one, that is if you need another one. So then you click on that to say it's already been used by Equifax. So it's not saying Equifax have actually used you know what it would be colorful language for equifax (laughs) you know even you can't use it it could have distracted attention from their actual data breach couldn't it if they had used a quote like that but there you go so um that is why the beep was i breached.com and that is my pick of the week funny you said f***ing throughout the story but then you bleeped yourself again (laughs) (laughs) just saving crow the effort oh i see i see okay he knows i won't bother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maria, what's your pick of the week? Um, my pick of the week has nothing to do with Equifax. It has everything to do with Richard Nixon. Yes, Richard Milhouse <laughs> yes! Nixon. Yes, Richard Nixon. Marvelous. Yeah, a big fan, Graham. Well, not as much as Roger Stone. I haven't gone that far. I don't oh, have the tattoo. You don't have the tattoo? No. Shame. No, 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 no shame. I wonder if he makes it talk by flexing his muscles. Mm, let's Arr. let's think about that a little more. <laughs> no, let's not. Okay, let's, sorry, let's just think that. about it. Okay, uh, so I am actually talking about Richard Nixon and deep fakes, and not mm. deep throat, but deep fakes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <laughs> yeah, I'm good. It's good. So MIT researchers used deep fake technologies combined with the acting know-how of a Nixon impersonator to bring a famous speech that never happened to life. So the famous speech that never happened is the one that was written should the Apollo 11 astronauts not return from the moon. Oh. Which I I don't know if you know, but his speechwriters did prepare that speech should that tragedy happen. 
Which is a good thing, because it, it would be a terrible thing to sort of make up off the cuff, wouldn't it? Right, and, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, remembering how it was, and not that I was alive then, but, I mean, <laughs> there was a very good chance that they might not return. So it was just being yes. prepared for yeah. a very sad uh, yes. thing that could happen. So there was, there is a legitimate speech. You can read it. It's easily available. However, Nixon never recorded a TV version of himself in front of the cameras reading it. But the MIT researchers made that happen. So they took a video of him, I think his resignation speech, actually, plus the actor helping them get the cadence of the speech right and deep fake technology. They mashed it all together. And you would swear Nixon had pre-recorded this and it went live. But, mm. uh, you know, really, it's that good, eh? It's super convincing. Uh, and so the speech is huh. real, but he never read it. But it, you would think he did after watching this. So there's a link. Um, it's, I think, a fascinating story, especially with this year being the 50th anniversary yes. and all that. Um, I just, I was so, so fascinated by it. I had this link as a tab open for weeks, knowing I was coming on this Aww. show. I was like, I'm saving it. I'm saving it for the show because I thought it was super cool. So there you go. <laughs> Do you know, uh, I think just today I read that China has now banned deep fakes. Good luck. Oh, China. yeah, but that's solved yeah. the problem, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, but it's interesting if it will, because, you know, you don't really want to get nabbed by the Chinese authorities, really. I right? suppose even if they can't actually stop it happening, what they can do is wield a great big cricket bat. So anyone who does use them will get into serious trouble. Maybe that's yeah. the point. Mm. I'm just looking it up right now to make sure I'm not lying. I mean, I also have personally banned deep fakes, but, uh, you know, uh, that word hasn't gotten out yet. Yeah, so three days ago, China makes it a criminal offense to publish deep fakes or fake news. Mm. <laughs> oh, interesting to see how that'll fake work. Fake news yeah. is banned, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I have a feeling I'll be hearing that one stateside yes. soon. Has, has everyone, yeah. <laughs> everyone been told oh. about that? Carol, what's yeah. your pick of the week? Okay. Mine is really a game for you guys okay. because, you know, this is radio and often I'm talking about things that have no sound. So I thought, actually, why don't we just have a little game? And this all comes from the website Mental Floss, which has a few cool little facts. Interesting. It's a good place to go waste time if you've got five minutes between meetings. So the game we're going to play is which of these classic toys came first? Okay. Ready? Okay. All right. Okay. And I don't know the answers. I don't know the answers. Okay. Okay. Hula hoop or frisbee? Oh, I would think hula hoop came first. Mm, I, I would guess frisbee. Me too. It's a lot harder to make a hoop. What would you make it out of? Cane? I'm going to say frisbee. Okay. What's the answer? Oh, frisbee. Oh, okay. Next. Barbie or G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe. Ooh, I thought Barbie. Uh, okay. What do I you say, Greg? they're Grim? both American. I haven't got a clue. Uh, oh, because you got well, one no, wrong. We had Cindy and uh, Action Man over here. Well, I didn't have Cindy, obviously. Which came first? Which came first? Uh, well, I, 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 I'm going to say G.I. Joe, because presumably that's okay. Second World War. No, Barbie. Mm. What? I would not. Yeah. I, wow. Barbie's uh, 1959 debut right. beat G.I. Joe's March to Toy Shelves in 1964. So five years between. Oh, my oh. goodness. Well, I, I thought for sure G.I. Joe's a World War II. I knew Barbie hmm. was around the 1960. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, this is one probably more for Maria. Pound Puppies what? or My Little Pony? I have no idea. I've never heard of Pound Puppies. You don't remember puppies. Pound Puppies? I, don't. I do. That's probably my, um, my No, my I remember both of them, but I, I never, I only had Okay. Uh, my Little Pony. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go Pound Puppies. Oh, you're right. My Little Pony. My Little Pony toys were introduced in 1983. Yeah, I didn't have many toys as a kid. <laughs> Plush Pound Puppies were released in, oh, they were released the next year. I think that counts. Yeah. Okay, last one. Slinky or Silly Putty? <gasps> oh. Oh. Ah, now, I seem to, I've, I have a vague recollection about how the Slinky was created. And it was, it was, it, I, I think so. I'm going to say Slinky. Yep. I think Slinky is earlier. Right. Yes. Slinky first tumbled around in 1945. The rubber goop used to make silly putty was invented around the same time. It didn't appear until 1950. So there you go. Hmm. Okay. There you go. Anyway, so this is on Slackers. mentalfloss.com. They have a few little games and interesting facts worth gander if you're bored. Um, thank you very much. Uh, are they stealing our data? Or something? This sounds a bit like a Facebook quiz. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Do you have go, to log go, in to take No, it? no, no. Of course not. And I'm on a very lockdown browser. Well, it's asking me to put in my social security <laughs> number. I mean, is that normal? 
<laughs> I guess he needs my social security number to take this great quiz about toys. Hmm. How's mental floss making money? What's a lot going of on? Ads. Is it ad supported? Oh. oh, lovely. Well, uh, Graham, people have to make money somehow. Well, yeah, but couldn't they do something decent, like install some malware on your computer, which opens up a residential proxy for a VPN to use? That's Nice. Bingo, nice. bingo. And on that smooth move, we've just about wrapped it up for this week. Maria, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do that? Uh, Twitter still works. I'm still there. Uh, so at uh, mvarmazes, I think is my handle. I think so. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Cool. And you can follow us on Twitter as well at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And you can also join the discussion on our subreddit. So if you're on Reddit, go and look up Smash Insecurity. Hi, five wondrous listeners. Thank you for listening, supporting us on Patreon, and giving us shout outs. It all helps so freaking much. And thank you once again to this week's Smashing Security sponsor, LastPass, that support helps us give you this show for free. And remember, we've got some other content coming. Stay tuned. Until next time, cheerio. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Rachel, hello again. Thank you for hello. joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I love when you come on. And today I am super excited about this topic because, as you know, this is a topic that I'm not super duper comfortable with, but I am desperate to learn more. And that is biometrics. So I am hoping you can kind of talk me through what it actually means. I think that it's, it's finally the year of biometrics. You know, for, you know, thank you, Apple and Android and all of the consumer technology that's out there. But I think it's a good time to talk about biometrics and figure out, like, where Mm. do you stand, get a sense of what biometrics are and um, really what are you giving up when you're using, if you're giving up anything, when you're using them to give you access to your phone or applications, personal or business. Okay, so what are biometrics? Let's just take it right back to basics. Cool. So biometrics, I think the first things that we think about are things like your fingerprint or your face, you know, face ID. There's also another piece that'll be important as part of this conversation. And those are actually called behavioral biometrics. So some of you guys might be familiar with things like keystrokes, you know, how do you usually type? You know, how do you usually type on the computer versus on the phone? Or, you know, your gait. Have you been walking normally over the past amount of time that it makes sense that this is you? All of those things are really being enabled by different telemetry that's on the phone or on the computer. So biometrics really break down into two things. One are the things that really are who you are. And then the other half are things like how you behave. And it's really the how you are that we're spending a lot of time working on now as we get into uh, you know, our mobile devices and things along those lines. Right. So let me just, just to recap, so make sure I'm following you fully. You've got your kind of almost physical traits. So your fingerprint, your face print, all that stuff that helps identify your, who you are. And then you've got how you behave. So that's interesting. So I obviously display certain characteristics when I walk or when I type or when I do anything. And that is the information you're looking to collect to try and help identify a person. Is that right? We're more advanced right now on the physical attributes. I think it's those behavioral attributes that as we bring in and we use the more the telemetry on the different devices that are going to enable us to ensure that those physical attributes maintain. They almost become like a second factor. But I've always thought of biometrics in more of the what elements I have, like fingerprints, like who I am. I've not thought about it in terms of behavior. Because where I'm uncomfortable with biometrics is the idea that we only have one set of prints or, you know, one face. And while there are companies that you trust to manage that data very carefully, there's going to be a time when companies that are maybe less trustworthy can also get access to that information. And what then? Or what if someone gets breached? And then, you know, you can't change your face. No, or at least without costing a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, 
it's true. Everybody's just being their best selves. But this idea of behavioral biometrics somehow is not as invasive because behavior you can change? Or is this behavior so deeply ingrained? Is that the idea that it is very difficult to fake? Well, I think that, you know, it is something that is how you behave. And so to change it consistently, it's like changing any habit. You you have to walk differently. You have to type differently. And I think that's one thing that really understanding those patterns makes it even harder for people to be able to leverage biometrics. So I, I think our perspective would be these wouldn't be the only sources for biometric data, but really they'd be additional sources with the physical elements as well. Right. Okay. Because I was going to ask, my next question was going to be, so what happens if I hurt my hand? In fact, I recently had tendonitis and my index finger couldn't use my index finger at all for like two months, which makes typing quite difficult, turns out. (laughs) And I am sure that my typing pattern changed dramatically during that period. So if you were just relying on that, that would be a big problem because you'd be like, this is in Carol. Exactly. Broken ankle. Yeah, any of those things. And I think that's one of the other elements. In the end, I'm not sure biometrics in and of itself as a single point is going to be everything that you need um, for for accessing all applications. Mm. Um, It is part of a multiple factor authentication. And so it could be that you're using your face, but behind the scenes, you're using some other kinds of sort of behavioral-based or adaptive authentication, like location and things along those lines. Or you might even be still, you know, uh, be logging into something that you have. So you're using your fingerprint on a phone. So they know that you have the device. So you're still using the concept of multi-factor authentication, ensuring that you can get that access, but in doing it in a secure way. You know, putting my cybersecurity hat on, I can see why this is so sexy to so many companies, because, you know, fraud and uh, fake identities are a big problem for lots of companies. Everyone would like to eradicate the problem. And the best way, I guess, to do that is to ensure that the user is indeed the user. And being able to use hundreds of different data points across those three elements. So what you are, what you have, and what was the other one? Yeah, what you know, what you have, and who you are. Those are the three different pieces there. So so that's the idea behind it, being able to use data from those three areas, build you a very reliable authentication service. There is this creepiness factor. I'll, I'll admit it. And um, I was reading this, the latest Gartner report on biometrics and Aunt Alan even calls it out as creepiness, which I have to, I got a huge kick out of just seeing like, like literally the section is labeled <laughs> creepiness. So look, let's acknowledge it. There is something odd about being able to be recognized so quickly, so easily. Um, and, you know, using your fingerprint for that or your face, but also when you look out there and, um, People are ready for it. There's a report that recently came out. 70% of consumers want to expand their use of biometrics. And in prepping for this podcast, we did a Twitter poll um, to our LastPass users. And oh, cool. Yeah, okay. so we asked a couple of questions. First, just a poll asking about, hey, you know, how many of you are using Face ID or Touch to log into applications? And we found that 60% of them are using it to log into some apps, 22% all apps, and Hmm. then the remainder, 18%, um, aren't using it yet. So that's 82% of people who are using biometrics in some way in every part of their life. And do you think that's because it's so convenient as well and it's so fast? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think when you look at it, there are are probably three things. One is speed. I mean, you can just get into things much faster. So your phone, your computer, your apps – But also just, you don't have to think about the password anymore. Literally, you just don't have to worry about it. And that takes a huge weight off your shoulders. And then for some, um, even even just on the end user level, there is a concept where it is more secure. Because if somebody does have my password, then, I mean, they, they can't use it. I mean, they have to, like, take my finger to get this and um <laughs> if they're that determined <laughs> you have it <laughs> but, yeah, you know, i'm gonna fight for my finger i think <laughs> yeah yeah i would do <laughs> biometric data has to be protected and there are a lot of different ways to do it and companies are doing it um you know keeping it on the phone in a separate piece of hardware like a sim card a separate sim card or, or a separate like trusted um computing module um 
keeping it centralized. It's always encrypted if it's, you know, either place, you know, distributing it between a phone and a central place. I mean, it has to be, it definitely has to be um, secure. Mm. But when a business is evaluating, sort of just focusing on staying with passwords or with biometrics, I do think it's important to realize that when data is stolen, it is much easier for people to be able to take a password and then replay that. You know, for, for biometrics, if you're able to get through it, if you're able to reconstruct it, you know, you, you ha- it isn't about then like typing in the password. There are a lot of different things you need to be able to do to use that. So as we talked about before, security isn't like black and white. Security is just getting better, more secure, tightening that. And I think that's what biometrics does is it, it makes things more secure. It tightens and eliminates sort of the attack surface even more than you would if you're just using passwords. Yes. And also biometric, as you say, is on a technological journey as well, because two years ago, you were hearing about the, you know, facial recognition going wrong. But that's not a problem that we're seeing a lot today. That's not hitting the headlines on a regular basis, is it? No, it isn't. And there's never going to be zero. There's not right, going to be always glitches. Yeah, there, there yeah. will be glitches. And a lot. And that's why things like behavioral biometrics coming up, mm. they can really provide that sort of backup for the physical too. So, you know, ensuring that as you're working, you are who you say you are as well. Uh, And I I think it is interesting to think about like, where is biometrics going? You know, where could they even be going with the, I mean, they've made huge leaps in acceptance over the past few years. I mean, 10 years from now, are we, gonna, are we talking about like embeddable, embedded hardware devices in parts of us, um, you know, where they're using our heartbeat or any of those, you know, real deep physical factors to be able to say who we say we are? It's interesting and scary, though. See, it is creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. And you know what? I'd say it's like Blade Runner, except did you already see that we're already past the date where Blade Runner was set? So, like, we are living in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Because <laughs> Blade Runner future. Uh-huh. God, I just wish I looked like Daryl Hannah's though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it could do those cartwheels. <laughs> what else did you ask on your polls? What else did you hear from your Twitter users? So, it was interesting. So, they gave some feedback when we were just asking, like, what, what do they think about biometrics? And it was it was pretty positive. Some people were saying, like, I really can't wait until this happens. Bring it on. A Twitter follower was mentioning that um, they specifically see it as a complementary means. So they're looking at it as, you know, one of multiple factors. And it's interesting. Um, one follower, Super Mario, was saying that he thinks that you have to be careful because you know, you can be sleeping and your fingerprints are still available (laughs) and suggested that we put in or, you know, that vendors make sure. I think he said Apple does this, which I did not know, that your biometrics can only be available for a certain amount of time. Mm. So only when I'm awake, because, you know, you don't want a certain somebody using your your fingerprint to get into your phone when you don't want them to. (laughs) I haven't even thought of that. And that is a really, really good point. (laughs) But see, that's the thing. It, the more it gets out there, the more different ideas and challenges are going to be coming and moving forward, too. Right. And it isn't that those should be seen as blockers, I think. It's how do we solve for them? Yeah, it's almost like almost slaloming down a ski hill. You know, you have to yes. kind of pay attention to these things and not barrel over them, but actually yeah. uh, be graceful and go around the mogul. <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the users, I'll say Emmett, Emmett S., mm-hmm. he put this awesome <laughs> video up of a hedgehog gaining access um, to an early Apple um, phone with their handprint. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think we're far past that right now. But I do think, you know, that's still what some people are thinking about, where, you know, you can put your pet in and they'll know it's you. Um, Or they'll mistake you for you. But I I do think we've improved far past that yet. But it definitely gave me a chuckle. So thank you, Emmett. (laughs) So once again, if I'm summing this up correctly, it's a little bit of the kind of push me, pull you between privacy and security. 
And behavioral biometrics and indeed biometrics offer an extra layer of security, which is something where a lot of us are in dire need for because, you know, it's daily that we read of huge breaches. I think that's true. There's one other point I want to make. We've talked a lot about user acceptance in our past conversations about it's great if you have security, but it doesn't really matter if your users aren't going to use it or use it poorly or complain about it the whole time. And I think that this is a time when you really look at generations and you see how people are growing up with technology and there's a desire to have more biometrics to have this ease and so i think it's up to us as companies and it's up to you know our our business customers to figure out how do we make that as easy as possible for the employees or even your customers because if they want it and it ends up being more secure we should figure out how we deliver it you know there are a lot of great companies out there who are putting together some some amazing things to help under you know pin together the the infrastructure for biometrics. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yep. And and so um you know I'm sure we'll be leveraging a lot of those different standards um but also trying to work with other companies to make sure that we can bring the best solutions forward. Rachel, anything else to add? No, that's great. Thank you so much. Well, all I have to say now is Happy Christmas, as happy we say Christmas. in England, or Merry Christmas. <laughs> you can say Happy Christmas. I'm bilingual. Can you still say Christmas, or do people say Happy Holidays now? Oh, you can. We. I say both. Merry yes. Winter. Merry. And uh, now, nah, now we're going to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I wonder how long you could do that for. Probably not so much because I have a cold right now, but on a normal occasion. Bye. Bye. I bet you're a good singer, Maria, aren't you? I am. You've got a good key, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a good singer. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah, you're great. You're a really good singer. What is that? Is there a fly in the room? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did we get okay. it? Did we kill uh, it? Is it dead? <laughs> Still recording. Oh. I'm oh. going to hit stop.